32. All right, thanks for that good singing. Uh, young ones there, that was very good. You know, one of the things I hear consistently um, and in just many different places is the disturbance over the waywardness of children under what are seemingly our good Christian homes, seemingly good churches, and for younger parents, there is a sincere concern for the future of their children. And that you should be concerned. You should be very concerned. As a pastor, uh, I am very concerned about a seemingly good church, a seemingly good Christians, and seemingly good parents. You know, seemingly is a term that focuses on the outside, the shell, the appearance. A focus on the outside, though, can be prideful and misleading. But a focus on the inside promotes health and a correct outlook of life. Today we're going to look a bit more under the surface of the Hebrew children in the wilderness as they, only after 40 days after being told expressly by God not to make idols of gold and silver, find themselves worshiping a fashioned golden calf. From there I'm going to preach a message entitled Troubled Kids in the wilderness. Let's pray. Father, I pray your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts and lives this morning. May we understand some things clearly. As may we not be dull of hearing as was talked about in this morning's Sunday school hour. But may we desire to really know and to understand and not look at things at just the face value of things, what trouble there is in that. We need to be serious about serving you as a church, as parents, as, uh, as church members, as, as workers in a workplace, in all areas of our life. And so, Father, may you speak to our hearts and lives today as we study uh, chapter 32 of Exodus and what we can draw from that experience, for we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. All right, last week we learned quite a bit about the Hebrew children in the wilderness. A lot was revealed, that was the message, a, a reveal party, about these people by the laws given by God to Moses, for Moses to give to the people while Moses was on the mount for 40 days and 40 nights. Now these laws went well beyond the Ten Commandments. You know, there was that structure of the Ten Commandments. But this gave details. It was details of the social order that God expected of His people. Down on the ground, how, how are you to operate? How are you to look at things? And how are you to handle things? The descriptions of these laws revealed that these people were not an innocent, God-loving people but rather a people plagued with a plethora of sinful tendencies. Last week was a study of those 40 days and 40 nights that Moses spent on the mountain receiving 
instructions from God. However, I only felt impressed to focus on the laws and judgments in chapters 21 through 23. However, I just want to briefly mention that during those 40 days and nights on the mount, Moses also received instructions for the building of the tabernacle. The call and the consecration of the priests, specific instructions for the altar of incense, okay, and the laver and the anointing oil. I, you know, it, it's pretty interesting to, to read those. <laughs> Moses also understood by God that there will be men who will be filled with the Holy Spirit, men supernaturally enabled to lead and build the tabernacle. The 40 days and 40 nights that Moses spent on the mountain concludes with a detailed emphasis on the Sabbath. Now this morning we're going to little, learn a little more about these Hebrews who came out of Egypt after being in bondage to them for 400 years. Now you need to think about that a little bit. Sometimes we just, you know, in the Bible we just kind of focus in on something. But 400 years, what would be 400 years for us? Uh, I think King James, 1611, you know, ish. <laughs> There's 400 years uh, back. So for outline's sake, though, this morning, in verses 1 through 6, I'm calling the character. Verses 7 through 14 is the chat. Verses 15 through 20, the chiding. Verses 21 through 29, the chastening. And verses 30 through 35, the cost. So let's first look at Exodus 32, verse 1, as we see the character of these Hebrew people. It says, And when the people saw, in verse 1, that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods, which shall go before us. For as this Moses the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what is become of him. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons, and of your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears, and brought them unto Aaron, and he received them at their hand, and fashioned it with a graving tool after he had made it a molten calf, and they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. Here we see the character, a little more of the character of these people. Proverbs 29, 15 says, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. These people were left alone as Moses went up. That's why I call them children. They were immature People. A lot of like what we read this morning, we need to be careful of immaturity. The world has a, a saying, you've heard it at work, when the cat's away, the mice 
will play. The Hebrews shown themselves to be immature. They showed their unbelief by their actions. They also showed their lack to respect authority. It says the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron. And that's something, you know, that's what you do. You get a good group together and go up before the, the big guy, the authority. And said unto him, up. <laughs> they said unto him, up, make us gods which shall go before us. For is this Moses, like, it's kind of interesting the way this word is. Like, this Moses, like he's this, just this guy. The man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, this person, we want not what has become of him. You know, Proverbs 30, 21 says, For three things the earth is disquieted, and for four which it cannot bear. Here's the first one. For a servant when he reigneth. That's exactly what they were doing. They were, they were the kings. They were going to the authority and telling him what to do. And a fool when he is filled with meat for an odious woman. Uh, when she is married, that's like a, just an odious woman and just a hateful, nasty woman. <laughs> Who would marry her, but she gets married. What a trouble that is. And a handmaid that is heir to her mistress. You know, we see a direct correlation today as we see children who run their parents they're telling the parents what to do we see and I've been in this case in unions and I understand unions and owners and stuff and there's these pendulum swings but I've been in a union where the union tells the owners what to do where the people in the unions think they run the show and they you can't do nothing to me I'm in a union. I, I was there. I mean, it will, it will ruin you. It was about to ruin me as a young Christian. I remember being told as I was working, trying to do a good job for the employer, that I need to slow down. You're raising the bar. Slow down. Oh, come on, folks. This is this is a problem when this happens. There are churches that are deacon run <laughs> where the deacons really kind of run the show and they put the pastor kind of down. There is that. We don't have that here. When the world, <clears throat> you may not have thought about this, through marketing controls what people buy. I'll let God speak to your own heart in these things. You know, a little more is revealed of this people. Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons, and your, your daughters, and bring them unto me. Now I want to bring you to a portion of Scripture. If you turn to Genesis chapter 35, keep your place there in Exodus 32, but in Genesis chapter 35. Now this was after the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, did a horrible thing by taking the law into their own hands and by trickery and their anger. 
slew the men of an entire city because of an offense against their sister. And those of you who know your Bible know what story that is. Genesis 35.1, And God said unto Jacob, Jacob was, he was concerned. Man, the people of this land are coming after us for this foolish thing that you two sons did. And I tell you, they were, they were an incredible uh, group of people. <laughs> Again, you think, oh, Jacob, you know, these must be the great, almighty, wonderful ones. No, it seems like this consistent thing. No, they're not. They're pretty much sinners. God said unto Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. Then Jacob said unto his household and to all that were with him, Put away the strange gods that are among you, and be clean and change your garments. And let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make there an altar unto God who answered me in the day of my distress and was with me in the way which I went. And they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hand. <laughs> Does that tell you something? And all the earrings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the yoke which was by Shechem. The earrings were put together in association with the strange gods and treated equally. Now when I ask you, where did the Hebrews get their ornaments or their earrings in the wilderness? And, and we'll be in the future here, you'll see the word ornaments being used. Though it's not expressly said, I believe they got the fad from and the earrings themselves from the culture and admiration of the Egyptians. A picture of sin in the world. Why do I think that? Well, think about this. I can't imagine the Hebrew slaves, you know they were in deep bondage, of them having anything of wealth, such as of jewels of gold or silver. I can't imagine them wearing them unless they aspire to be like them. Exodus 12.35 says, And the children of Israel, this is at the beginning of the Exodus when they were being drawn out, did according to the word of Moses, and they borrowed of the Egyptians jewels of silver, and jewels of gold and raiment. And they started sticking them in their ears, acting like them. And the Lord gave people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so they lent unto them such things as they required, and they spoiled the Egyptians. Now I'm just trying to help out here. We are not to love the world, neither the things of the world. What do you ornament yourself? Better teach your kids. You want them to turn out to stand alone in this world. I'll tell you, the Lord's just kind of put on me. I, I, I imagine you could go through every yearbook, okay? And you will see, for the most part, all the fads, the way they, the glasses they wore, the hairdos they had. But then you'll see Somebody like a guy with just a regular short haircut. 
and it never goes out of style. But it's very few. You better help your kids learn to stand and be of the few. Verse 6, it says, And they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. Now what came to mind to me is St. Patrick's Day. Listening on the radio, I hear the announcers on the radio have a conversation with an aged woman as an advisor on the way to celebrate St. Patrick's Day. By the name, by the way, her name was Patty, not my wife. <laughs> she was silly and giggly. This was an aged woman. You could tell by her voice. She's been around, and so is these, these guys. They're, they're in their 50s, okay? She's telling them about the best mixed drinks in the celebration of St. Patrick's Day. The announcers join in with their drinking preferences. They jump right in so they could talk right online with her. And their shenanigans that go along with it, and the pun is intended here. There are adults bragging on drinking poison. That's what came to mind. Adults. telling about the poison that they drink in their body. Irish whiskey, green beer, and starting right in the morning for the day. I'll tell you, that is so immature. I, I just, it just throws me back. This is where it's at. I think of the children of Israel. This is the kind of people they were. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. I believe they were just looking for a party. Man, get this calf going. We got something going, a new new leader, and then we got an excuse to start up really early in the morning and start to play. Now you can add to this list spring breaks as a whole. A lot of shenanigans go on at spring breaks. Mardi Gras and others that are no more than excuses for adults to have lewd parties. It is our culture. It's not just America either. It's all over the world. You think, no, other countries have their own little things that they do. So we see the character of the Hebrews here, really what they're about. And then we're going to see the chat with God and Moses. Let's look at Verses 7 through 14, it says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Get thee down, for thy people which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made, a molten, they have made them a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed thereunto and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. And Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people, 
which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say for mischief did he bring them out to slay them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants, to whom thou swearest by thine own self, and saidest unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of will I give unto your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. Almost sounds like, wow, man, Moses is in the face of God here. I know enough about God that if he was, if this wasn't what God was looking for, uh, he would he would have taken care of things with uh, with Moses. But I want you to consider this: we already witnessed the omnipresence of God, knowing what the people were doing when he was on the mount with Moses, where no human could know. He's seen it all while he's up there. He sees everything. But we also see the omnipotence or the all power of God, the supremacy, the authority and power to righteously, he could wipe these people out. But here we see the omniscience of God. He knows Moses. Just like he knew how Job would respond in his trouble, he knows that Moses will intercede righteously to stay God's judgment on the people. He knows that he will respond to God with truth. I want you to see the similarities here. As I was reading through this, boy, it's just, it's like the Lord Jesus Christ. He will respond with truth like Jesus did when he was tempted in the wilderness. What did he do? He referred to the truth, what the Word of God says. He knows that Moses will make his case on God's reputation. He would make himself of no reputation. God even told him, he said, I'll make it after you. He's saying, we can put you up on the pedestal. And he wouldn't go there. It was more about God's reputation. God knows Moses and he moves Moses to stand in the way of his wrath. God knew it all the while. So we saw the character of these people. We see the chat between God and Moses. Now let's look at the chiding, verses 15 through 20. And Moses turned and went down from the mount, and the two tables of the testimony were in his hand. The tables were written on both their sides. On the one side and on the other were the, they were written. Now I'm just going to throw out just a little thing here. Because it's... It's written in here that it was on both sides. Now, my mom would tell you that God knew that you don't waste anything. My mom always, when I was growing up, you wrote on both sides of the paper, otherwise you were wasted. Uh, I don't think that's the case here. But there was some case there. But what do you see when you see the Ten Commandments? They're written on two stones on one side, right? I'll just give you something. Maybe you can ask God. I, you know, God wants, just like the children, you know, children are curious. We're to be curious. God, what? Why? <laughs> Why, God? You know? Why him like our kids do? He'll tell you. 
said, and the tables were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God graven upon the tables. This was God's own writing. Okay, this is the work of hand of the hand of God himself. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said unto Moses, there's a noise of war in the camp. And he said, it's the voice of them that shout for mastery. And, and he said, it is not the voice of them that shout for mastery. Neither is it the voice of them that cry for being overcome. In other words, it's not the cry because they're winning or it's not a cry because they're losing. But the noise of them that sing do I hear. And it came to pass, as soon as he came nigh into the camp, he saw the calf and the dancing. And Moses' anger waxed hot, and he cast the table out of his hands and brake them beneath the mount. And he took the calf which they had made and burned it in the fire and ground it to powder and strawed it upon the water and made the children of Israel drink it. The first part, and, and you kind of see how things are dealt with, and, and you can kind of, if you think about it, see it's kind of how we deal as parents with a situation. The first part of dealing with sin as a father is dealing with the outward part of the offense. Just say if a child, because we've got a, long, a lot of young ones here, if a child takes a toy from another child, the parent comes in and takes witness of the issue, figures out what's going on, becomes very stern and authoritative, his anger waxed hot, and the guilty feels the fury, and then the toy is restored. Let's, let's take and fix this. Get this over to him. In the case of Moses coming on the scene, he is furious. The great gift of God, the commandments, he's coming with the finger of God. A special thing for the people. He breaks them. Throws them down. Uh, let me put this in a very interesting way. He's coming home with tickets to Disney World. <laughs> and he sees what happens. And not going there. Then he goes to the object of offense. The golden calf. And he deals with it in a curious manner. He burns it and makes it into a powder. Then he mixes it with the water and have the people drink it. Now, I'm the kind of person, I looked up, what would happen if you eat gold? <laughs> you know, I'm kind of, what, what's the result of this? That's more common than you think. <laughs> I was surprised. There are some delicacies of food that they put gold on that you eat. Gold sprinkles. Nothing apparently happens that anybody can tell that so far that there's anything that the gold doesn't get into your bloodstream or anything like some other minerals and things can. The body does not absorb the gold and it passes through. Now, I'm going to take a little break here, but it causes me to think of the phrase when I grew up and if you don't know, you can ask me later. When somebody say, what are they digging for gold? <laughs> I wonder if that's where that came from. <laughs> now we see the character. We've seen the chat. We've seen the chiding. 
And now we're going to see the chase. And Moses said unto Aaron, What did this people, what did this people unto thee that thou hast brought so great a sin upon them? And Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord wax hot. Thou knowest the people that they are set on mischief. For they said unto me, Make us gods which shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what is become of him. And I said unto them, Whosoever hath any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it me. Then I cast it in the fire, and there came out this calf. And when Moses saw that the people were naked, for Aaron had made them naked under their shame among their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me, and all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto him. And he said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Put every man his sword by his side, and go in and out from gate to gate throughout the camp, and slay every man his brother, and every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. And the children of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and there fell of the people that day about 3,000 men. For Moses had said, Consecrate yourselves today to the Lord, even every man upon his son and upon his brother, that he may bestow upon you a blessing this day. Now what do you do when you begin the process of administering the punishment of a situation? You come home and your family is done some really bad things, you first go to the authority, the one who was in charge to take care of matters in your absence. Moses goes to Aaron. Now there's a lot of conclusions that people come to with Aaron. But I see something interesting. You know, to whom much is given, much is required. But I see something interesting beyond that. Of all the severity of punishment, I would think Aaron's life would have been at stake. That he would have been the first to go. Aaron's appeal was that Moses knew that the people were set on mischief, is what he said. You know, Moses petitioned God several times, stating that the people were ready to stone him. He was concerned. I kind of think Moses knew the position Aaron was in. Perhaps Aaron was at the point of threat and his only way out was to go along with the people. He would not be the only person in the Bible, godly people, who would do something like this to save his life. Remember when David went to the Philistines and realized he was in deep trouble and he feared? He foamed at the mouth and pretended to be mad? seeing he was in a bad predicament of his life? You know, I'm not sure, but there was something terrible and awful that this tribe had to carry out, though. Who Aaron was a part of, the Levites, killing 3,000 men. Now, I want you to think about this. Listen to the description of these men who were killed by the sword. It really doesn't mention that, although... I think you have to assume these, these were the leaders or the wrong people who did it, but he, the Bible doesn't emphasize this, but what, he, what is emphasized is he says who these people were. They were to kill their brother, their companion, and their neighbor. That would be like 
Mom and Dad comes home and Joanne and you were in charge. And the kids did all sorts of bad things. You were in charge and you didn't stop it. So your parents say, the children are going to get whippings and you're going to be the one who has to whip them. That would be hard, wouldn't it? I'm not sure Aaron made it out to where I can imagine being in that position. God makes no bones about the severity of sin. Like if he was to liken sin unto cancer, the treatment is severe. And for a good reason. But we're living in a society, folks, where we let sin have its place until it spreads and defiles us a little bit at a time. Where are the kids? Why aren't they in church? Where are they at? They were raised in a good family. Hey, you need to take care of stuff and take care of it. That's what God did. Our nature says, woo, that's harsh. No, God, there's no, God is perfect. God knows exactly what he's doing. He loves us. He cares for us. We just need to simply follow him. So we see the character, the chat, the chiding, the chasing. Verse 30 through 35, we're going to see the cost of sin. And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses said unto the people, Ye have sinned a great sin, and now I'll go up unto the Lord. Peradventure I shall make an atonement for your sin. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin, and have made them gods of gold. Yet now if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. And the Lord said unto Moses, Whosoever has sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. Therefore now go, lead the people unto the place of which I have spoken unto thee. Behold, mine angel shall go before thee. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. And the Lord plagued the people because they made the calf which Aaron made. And that's an interesting statement. They made the calf which Aaron made. <laughs> you know, there's several costs of sin. First of all, we see the cost from Moses. I believe Moses was serious that he put his life on the line for those stinking sinning Hebrews. That's not the first time. You know, Paul said he wished that he could give his life for his country. There's that same sort of thing. It's because he was one of them. Christians could say it this way. I'm just, we say it, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Jesus loved me and gave his life for me except for the grace of God there goes I. We as Christians must see others as ourselves. We are to be compelled to witness, to rend our hearts for the lost. Moses cared for these people. He knew where they were. I mean, they were about to stone them at times. They were a stiff-necked people was God said we're not going to do we do need to stand for the truth but as much as we stand for the truth we need to have 
as much love given that truth. The closer I get to God, the more burdened I am and, and bothered of people who are dying and going to hell. I have conversations with God. I don't understand this. God, it bothers me. You know, Moses did that. That's the right place to be, and we need to be that way as a church. Hey, we're going to have some. I asked Jay Henline. He has a church that runs about 90. I said, well, that's good. I said, Jay, I said, that is something I see like our church might grow to throughout where we're at. He said, what are the problems you face? People bickering with people. People who think they should be doing this and they have no place being in that position. I mean, just all sorts of difficulties. Folks, we just need to love. Man, we need to overcome all those things with love. With love. Between ourselves, between those who come in. But we need to stand for the truth. We need to dig in. We need to really show God to a people. Secondly, there was a cost for those who are not believers. We saw the death of 3,000 lives at an instant. And then we see the survivors. Yes, their life was saved, but yet they received a plague from God. There's a cost. Even afterwards of sin, anybody will tell you, I'll tell you there's things in my life that I've done I think I've, you know, I'm paying for because I made some bad decisions. God's restored me and God's done things for me as I've learned to do better and love him. But there's a payment for those who are saved but not living for God. There's a plague that they will have. There's a cost to sin. Heads bowed and eyes closed. And the pianist is coming to play a song. Think about these things, the character of these people. They look maybe pretty good on the outside. I'm sure they did. I'm sure they bragged on each other. And Yeah, there's the bad guys down the road, but I'm not one of them. There's the chat that Moses had with God. And interesting that God says, get away that I may consume them in a moment. You know, that. when I think of that saying, that's like us saying, I'm not going to cut this grass until this fly moves. God didn't. Moses wasn't inhibited, but God knew that Moses could inhibit him and knew he would because he didn't want to. And he turned from his fierce wrath because of Moses. We need to stand in that way. What a chat they had. The chiding that went on. There should be a certain fear of God when you do wrong. The chastening, the seriousness of sin. 
and the cost of sin. Jesus Christ. Moses came. There's a picture here of Jesus Christ in Moses' life. He was willing to give his life for this people. There's something right in that attitude. Is that the attitude we have toward a fellow man? How's God speaking to you? Just one last verse. we really just need to take it really serious. Part of the burden of starting a church is just I see where the church is going and I see your families and the children. We're going to have to stand alone. We're going to have to get serious with God. Otherwise, you're, you're in trouble. Your kids are in trouble. So I just pray that you take that to heart. I mean, some things that may be bothersome, they may just stick you right to where it hurts the most. If it's God doing it, don't worry about it. He means well. Even in his chastening, he's doing the best thing for us. You know, I would not hold anybody here. You are free in this church. You're not held by anything. You're only held by the word of God. If somebody was to leave the church, the only thing I would ask is find something that's serious. Find something that's serious that'll teach you the truth. I'll tell you you step out, a lot of people step out and step down into areas where they're gonna lose you're gonna lose your family. I'll just tell you how it is. They sound good and fun and enjoyable on the surface. The grease is greener, the grass is greener. But you just need to be really careful. Find, be serious with God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your blessings in life. We're, we are just sinners saved by grace. We can't stand above anybody, but we should be burdened because we should see ourselves and those who are lost. We should plead for them. We should stand between God and his judgment. He wants us to. We are to turn people to Jesus Christ, the one who can save them to love them with all our heart and soul and mind, but not to bend one iota of what God says is right and true. We must stand. But with all that standing, may we love just as strong. For we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You are dismissed.